Please. Thank you, Brother Calvin. What an awesome job. How many believes he's called and anointed to do that? Amen. What a great, great blessing. We're glad to see you in the house of the Lord on this resurrection day. Amen. The day that we especially set aside to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I tell you, I, we, uh, we never get in, you know, we never, I never know what they're singing. I can if I want to, but I don't ever do that until I just come in. And man, that second song this morning really just goes right along with what God has given me. I never heard that song before. And uh, so I'm just so thankful for that. And you'll see that I believe in just a moment. Today we're going to talk about, of course, the resurrection. And we're just saying that that is the reason that the good news is good. Amen. Without a resurrection, there is no good news. Have your Bible read with us 1 Corinthians 15. This whole chapter of the Apostle Paul is dealing with one subject, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was talking to people that did not believe in that, that mocked that, that did not hold to that belief at all. And so he spends that 15th chapter, and even more beyond that, defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, that means good news, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So he makes those three triune statements. He says that Christ died. He says that he, secondly, was buried. And third, he said he rose again according to the Scriptures. When the Apostle Paul or anybody else in the Bible begins to talk about the resurrection, it's always interesting to me that they always go back to the Word of God to validate it. Uh, when Jesus was on that Emmaus Road, that seven-mile journey, where he appeared with those two disciples who were discouraged and sad and really walking in the opposite direction that they should have been walking, and Jesus drew near to them. Remember that story in the book of Luke, last chapter? that he could have just took those guys and carried them back to Jerusalem and said, come on with me, and I'll show you an empty tomb, and he could have done that, but he didn't. And in fact, what the Bible said he did, that beginning with Moses, he expounded to them the scriptures concerning himself, and he brought those guys link by link, revelation by revelation, passage by passage, right up to the resurrection. And that's how he validated that he was the Christ. Stephen, when he was being stoned, he did the same thing in Acts 7. When he was questioned, before he was stoned, he was questioned, which led to his stoning. But he, the Bible says that he began with Abraham. He carried on all the way through from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And he brought them right up through the, the crucifixion of Jesus. They were so enraged when he got through talking about that that they gnashed on him, it said, with their teeth. And he was martyred that day because he stood and believed and declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something today. Today, this message, the resurrection message, you know, one day they're going to bury the messenger, but you'll never bury the message. Amen. I'm just a mailman, but the message will continue right on. And the, res the resurrection is not simply an Easter sermon. Uh, it is so important to the Christian 
And it's so important to the Christian faith. But what I want to focus in on today is something that we don't hear very much, or at least I've never heard very much, is how important the resurrection is to you, the individual. And so that's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to zero in on today. Father, we do thank you for the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you that that same power, that same spirit that raised him from the dead dwelleth in each and every one of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that grace that is still amazing, that makes, Lord God, this gospel the good news that it is, because you are not a dead God, but alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. And we give you praise for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, you can be seated. Look at your neighbor, tell them how pretty they look. They went to all that trouble to dress up for Easter. Come on, don't let it be in vain. Tell them how good looking they are. Tell the other person that you ignored. Tell them too. Tell them how good they look. Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it so important to our faith? Why is it so important to us as individuals? And if I was to ask you today, you know, why is the cross important? What's so important about the cross? You could, everybody in here, I'm sure, could say many things about the cross. And you'd say things like, well, he shed his blood there. He... He died for our sin. He bore our punishment, our judgment. But if I ask believers about the resurrection, sometimes I've asked believers, why was Jesus raised from the dead? Why did God raise him from the dead? And this is the answer that I've most often gotten. They say, well, because he was God's son. Well, as nice as that sounds, that's the wrong answer. God did not raise Jesus from the dead because that was his boy. He raised him from the dead because he accomplished what he sent him to do. And it was not a symbolic accomplishment. It really did accomplish not only our forgiveness, but our justification. The word justification means made righteous. So we were made righteous. We're not just righteous in God's eyes as if he's, you know, fooling himself. That we're really not, but he'll just declare that we are. No, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, did Jesus do that? Did he rise from the dead just to demonstrate his power over death? No, he'd already demonstrated his power over death when he raised the widow of Nain's son, when he raised Jairus' daughter that was 12 years old that had died. And most uh, dramatic of all is when he raised his friend Lazarus, who had been dead and in the tomb for four days and actually was going through a decomposition, his body was decomposing, and yet he demonstrated that he had power over death by raising his friend Lazarus. So Jesus did not rise from the dead to demonstrate the power of over death. He did it for a whole entirely different reason. In verse 1 and 2 again, he says, Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and which in, which you, in which you also stand, and which also you're saved. Now Jesus dying on the cross, listen to me, that's good news but it's not good enough. I said, Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood is good news, but it's not good news enough. It's not enough. A dead Jesus saves no one. If Jesus has not been resurrected, then everything he died for was for nothing. And in fact, the gospel that proclaims that the cross, but it does not proclaim the resurrection, is in fact not the gospel at all. A gospel that proclaims a dead Jesus but not a living Christ is not the gospel. If you're going to preach the gospel, preach the whole story. 
Don't leave him on the cross because he's not there. Don't leave him dead because he's not dead. He's alive. Come on, can you say amen? The Bible story for us, really, the power of that really begins. It doesn't end at a place called Calvary. It begins at a place called the tomb. And so the Bible actually says this. Listen to this. You probably hadn't heard this statement said like this. But you and I were saved by resurrection. You were saved by resurrection. That's what the Bible says, Romans 10, verse 9. I thought I'd have to prove it. I could tell by that silence. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 that the whole purpose of Romans 10, 9 and 10 and even verses above and below it is about salvation. And he says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth, notice you're not confessing sins. The average Christian hears the word confess, they immediately think of sin. Confess just means to agree with God. Say what God says. And so it says that if you agree with God with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe where? In your heart that God has raised him from the dead. What's the result of that? So you are saved by resurrection. In other words, to be saved, the Bible says right here in this verse that you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus in order to be saved. You're not saved by him bleeding on the cross. You're saved by the resurrection, by believing in the resurrection, by believing that God raised him from the dead. Now, I want to say this here. I've said in services, uh, you know, where the preachers have got up and they've talked about salvation, and they've said statements essentially like this, that if you can't recall the exact moment that you were born again, then maybe you're not. And I've seen people that get up and say, I was saved in blah, blah, year at 10 o'clock in the morning at such and such place. Well, you know, and they'll give you the three-foot circumference of where they were born again. But I would bet and say to you that a lot of you in here can't do that. You can't do that. I was actually born again when I was 12 years old. And I really don't remember what month it was. I don't remember. I just knew I was 12. And as far as the month, I have no clue. But I know I met Jesus then. And uh, what is even more significant in my mind, in my memory, is when I, I would say, you know, came back to God uh, when I was 19. I remember the month then that I did that. I just happened to remember that. But, I, you know, but how many of you, you know, that's, we're talking about spiritual birth, being born again. And, 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 you know, and so I just want to say something. I just felt like by the Spirit I was supposed to say that to somebody in here today. Just because you can't remember exactly when. That's not, that's not, you're not saved by remembering when. I can't remember my natural birth. But evidently it happened. I'm here. Can you remember when you were naturally born? No. Somebody just told you you were. And they've told you you were born on this date, and then you celebrate it as your birthday. But you don't remember your natural birth. But the fact is you're born again. It's not important. You know, you're not saved by your memory. You're saved by your faith in Jesus. Paul ends verse 2 with this statement. He says, unless you believed in vain. Now, how do I know if my belief in Christ is in vain? Listen, what you look through determines what you see. If you read this statement in the Bible, this statement bothers some people. If you read this statement through the law, the old covenant, through works, your performance, then you might even persuade yourself that you could lose your salvation. Uh, you, you will see a performance mindset. You'll, you'll see something that's based on you and what you do. But the context of what Paul is saying is, remember, he is validating, proving resurrection. And so Paul is saying that if the gospel, 
you hold to doesn't reveal a resurrected Jesus, then your belief is in vain. That's all he's saying. There's only one Jesus that saves, delivers, heals, rescues, and gives new life, and that is the risen Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, now some were saying that Jesus was, was dead and that his resurrection was merely some kind of a metaphorical resurrection, that somehow that it was a spiritual resurrection, but not like the resurrection that Paul was talking about. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus declared before he died not only how he would die, how long he would be dead, but he also declared something that no, no human ears had ever heard in any religion. He declared a bodily resurrection. M many believed even in the Greek philosophy, they believed in a spiritual resurrection where you would be spiritually resurrected, where your spirit would leave your body, but nobody ever believed in a bodily, physical resurrection. And that's what Jesus declared. He said, you destroy this temple. And the Bible says the temple is our body. Paul talked that. They thought Jesus was talking about the Jewish temple, the synagogue, Herod's temple. No, no. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. He said, I will bodily come back from the dead. And he did. So there were groups that were arguing over this. And the main two that were arguing were the Pharisees. We know about those guys. And the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And they would argue about it. That's why that they were sad, you see. <laughs> because they didn't believe in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 and 12 says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Now look in verse 17. He says, and if Christ is not risen. Now he takes the, 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 the defense approach, Paul does. Paul was a brilliant man. And he says, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. And this, look at this statement. You are still in your sins. And by the way, just for those that know what I mean when I say this, I don't have time to Develop it, just get on our podcast and find it. But sins here is not a verb, it is a noun. It is not something someone does, it is, it is sin itself. And he's talking to a multitude of people, and that's why you see the S on the end. So he says that if Christ is not risen, the result of that is you're still in your sins. Now, look at this truth. If Christ is not risen, let this sink in, you're still in your sin. But the reverse is also true. But if Christ is risen, come on, Grace Point. <laughs> if Christ is risen, then you are no longer in your sin. Why some of you spend so much time talking to him about that, I don't know. You are not in your sins. Why? Because you are now in Christ. Paul's favorite expression was when you get born again that you're in Christ. The Bible teaches two things, points of, of geography spiritually. You are either in Adam or you are either in Christ. If you are lost, you're in Adam. If you're born again, you're in Christ. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all live. 
In Adam, he's disobedient. So you get credit for his disobedience. In Christ, he was obedient all the way to the cross. You get credit in your account for his obedience. In Adam, you were made unrighteous. In Christ, you are made the righteousness of God. In Adam, you were born a sinner. But in Christ, you were born the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Would somebody give God some praise? So your location has changed. Your geography has changed. You hear folks say location, location, location. When you get born again, you were taken out of Adam, placed in Christ. If any man be in Christ, Paul said in Corinthians, he is a what? New creation. He didn't say if any man be in church on Easter. He said if any man be in Christ. He didn't say if any man be in the Kiwanis Club. If any man be in the pilot's club, if any lady be in the Red Hatters. I'm not knocking any of those organizations. But that's not what changes a person. What changes a person is that God has placed you now through your faith in him and his finished work on the cross in Christ. You're not in your sins. Don't listen. Don't live like you're still in your sins. To live like you're still as a believer, still in your sins, is to deny the resurrection. How do I know that all my sins, past, present, and future, have been eternally forgiven? One reason. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. If you want the verse to say, why was Jesus raised from the dead? It's Romans 4.25. New King James Version of Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up because of our offenses, because of our sin. But he was raised because of our justification. Notice it don't say he was raised because he was God's boy. Notice it don't say he was raised because he was God's son. He was raised because of justification. What did I just tell you justification means? Made righteous. Listen to the NIV version of that same verse, Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. It was the fact that his sacrifice actually made us righteous that he was raised from the dead. It's because that Jesus has been raised from the dead that you can declare and believe that you and I have been made wholly, totally, eternally righteous by God. You receive that? Let me tell you what Paul preached, man. He preached a resurrected Jesus. He, 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 look what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 4. He said he rose again the third day according to the scripture. He was seen by Cephas. That's talking about Peter. That's what's Peter's name. And then Jesus called him Peter, you know, but Cephas is Simon Peter. And so Peter had a private revelation of Jesus after he had denied him. Then by the 12 apostles. He was also seen by over 500 brethren, Christians at one time, of whom he says the greater part of them remain to this present moment but some have died. In other words, he says, go talk to them. He appeared to 500 people at one place at one time, and he said, some of those people have died, but most of them are still alive. Go ask them about the resurrection if you don't believe it. And then he says, after that, he was seen by James. This is not James the apostle, one of the 12. This is James, the brother of Jesus. I'll say more about that in just a second. Then by all the apostles. And then last of all, Paul said, he was seen by me, who was one born out of due time. What's he talking about? That by the time that, that Paul saw Jesus, in other words, Jesus was already dead, buried, you know, resurrected. 
he wasn't around. Paul didn't see him the way that they saw him, but yet he still saw him, he said, even though he was born out of time. And so, you know, you could give so much. If you had to go to the courthouse, you got to think for 2,000 years, the world, the, 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 the secular world, the, the atheists, the agnostics have been trying to disprove the resurrection. Because if you can disprove the resurrection, you can disprove the Christian faith. If you, can just, if you can disprove the resurrection, then you can throw every Bible into the trash can. Close every church. You don't have to disprove point by point by point in belief and doctrine and all that. You, you don't have to do that as an atheist or an agnostic. Just disprove this one thing and you've won. And in 2,000 years, they can't disprove it. And all that approach it to disprove it become converted by it. How do we know? I'll just give you seven quickly. The eyewitness account of all that saw him. Eyewitness. That's the best credible evidence in the court. The, I, I was there. I saw him. John said we touched him. We handled him. We, 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 we saw him. We, we ate fish with him. We, we, we saw him. We embraced him. The transformation of these apostles who wouldn't even but one of them show up while he was being crucified. They all scattered out of fear. And, and, and another proof of the resurrection is the radical transformation of these apostles from fear to martyrs. Listen, you don't die for something that you don't believe in. If you're going to die for something... You wholeheartedly believe in it. You agree with that? And not any of these apostles of the 11 after Judas Iscariot. All, there were 10 of them that died a violent martyrdom death. John died and is still being a martyr on the Isle of Patmos from just old age. They tried to burn him in oil, but he wouldn't burn. You see? The early proclamation, they didn't wait 15, 20, 30 years to declare that he was risen from the dead. Immediately on the third day in Jerusalem, where it went, where it went down, where it happened, immediately, where, where there's still time to gather evidence to disprove it, they immediately declared the proclamation that he is risen. The doctrinal written evidence of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Four different witnesses pinned down, documented the resurrection. Paul agrees and collaborates in writing the resurrection of Jesus. Number four, an empty tomb that all uh, that would want to prove that he did not rise. Listen, all they needed to do was to produce the body. If they could just produce the body, then it all falls apart. But they can't produce it. Because his body's not there. And, and, and this, this to me says so much of how God is. you got to understand in, in this time of the Bible, in Jewish culture, women's word meant nothing. If a woman in Bible days saw a murder, she could not be brought into court to testify against the murderer. She was not allowed to testify in any court, be it civil or religious. Her word meant nothing. Nothing. And yet, my God, 
decided that he would first appear in resurrected form to women. He would first appear to a woman of whom he cast out seven demons called Mary of Magdala, the playgirl of Magdala. He talked to her first. That's why these guys on the Maus Road who were sad and Jesus drew near in his resurrected body said, why are you so sad? They said, well, we, you know, had believed that he was the one to redeem us, but we don't believe it, obviously, because we're walking in the opposite direction. He said, now, there were women of our company that ran to the tomb and told us that he was risen. And some of the brethren, Peter and John, went, and they found it just as the women have said. But yet they're still walking in off. Why? Because the women's word didn't mean nothing. Isn't that just like God? To always reach out to those who have been marginalized, overlooked, not respected. Isn't it like God that when you got 5,000 men, it says in the Bible, not counting the women and the children. You ever been part of that group that wasn't counted? No counts. You are no account. You ever have been picked for the team and been the last guy standing there and, and, and the other guy just said, you can have him. Even though it's our turn to pick, we don't want him. The Bible says they were 5,000 men hungry, not counting the women and children. But who was it that God used to feed those 5,000 men? It was a little lad with five loaves and two fishes. He might not have been counted by the society, he not, might have been counted by anything else, but God counted him, and God used him and what he had to feed the 5,000. God used a woman, which was his mama, that packed his lunch, and a, and a child that wasn't even counted to do a miracle. Can you say, man, that's how God is. Number five, the birthing of the church immediately, 50 days, just 50 days after his resurrection, the Jews... The Jews birthed a church in Acts 2. That's another proof of the resurrection. Then number six, the conversion of who I mentioned earlier, James, the brother of Jesus, who the Bible shows us, who actually the Bible says that James, who was the oldest sibling, you can call him a half-brother if that helps you, but he did not, nor did any of his brothers and sisters, believe that he was Emmanuel. God with us. They didn't believe that he was the Christ. They didn't believe. And you know what made James a believer? The resurrection. James, the oldest of those siblings, the brother of Jesus. And I want to tell you, when James became a believer after he saw his brother post-crucifixion, post-burial, he became not only a believer but a radical believer. That he moved up so quickly in the ranks he became the apostle of the church of Jerusalem. In Acts 15, when they have a council discussing doctrine, he presided over that. James. James. This, he, he was called the bishop. He, he was called James the just. He, he lived such a, a dedicated life after he saw the resurrected Christ. It was an amazing thing. And, and so one day the Jews, this is extra-biblical revelation by Josephus, the Jewish historian, but they, I told you they all were martyred. James, the brother of Jesus, they brought him one day and they put him up on a very high, high lofty place to, to, give, to give argument about this Jesus who was his half-brother. 
And he did, and they thought that they would gainsay him in that argument, Josephus said. They thought that they would get him tangled up where he couldn't validate. But in fact, James, under the anointing of God, he declared the truth of the resurrection so powerfully that the people began to be converted. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees that had put him up to this for, for their own uh, uh, game, then they became so upset that they, they ran and pushed him off of the platform. And he fell in the fall uh, should have killed him. Some 20 to 30 feet, Josephus says. But the fall didn't kill him. And while he was lying there, he was broken from the fall. They began to stone him. And while they were stoning him, James, the brother of Jesus, did what Stephen had done. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And, and one man, Josephus said, ran into the crowd, one of the Pharisees, and said, stop stoning him. You, you stoned the man who prays for you. And when they did that, another one of those men grabbed a club and beat James to death because the stones were not fast enough. Why would you die with such a heart of forgiveness if you didn't believe and know for surety that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not some fairy tale and nobody had just stolen his body and hid it, but that you had seen him? And that you were willing to die rather than to deny that truth. The last one, maybe some say the dramatic, most dramatic of all is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who we better now know as Paul, an apostle. This was a guy that was in such belief of the heresy of this Jesus that he murdered Christians under the authority of the Sanhedrin. He held the code of those who stoned Stephen to death while he gave his agreement. And yet this man on the Damascus Road was so changed because he saw with his own eyes the resurrected Jesus. Because Jesus appeared to him and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute the church, you're persecuting him. Anybody who persecutes you, they're persecuting God because you belong to him. You ever been like that as a parent or a grandparent? I'd rather somebody mess with me than mess with my kids. You mess with my children and my grandchildren, and you're going to see that I ain't saved through and through. <laughs> I'm still a project. So Paul is blinded physically by the encounter on the Damascus Road. He's blinded. He's lying in the dirt. He's blinded. He has to be led around now. The man who saw so clearly, he thought that this was a wrong sect, a cult, something that needs to be exterminated, these followers of this Jesus. And now the Lord tells him to go to a street called Straight, and there you'll find a man there that is named Ananias. Go to him. So they lead him to this man's home. Paul is such a humble position he has to be led somewhere and he goes to this man and this man was fearful every Jewish Christian had heard of the terror of the apostle Paul this Saul of Tarsus this murderer of Christians and he even told God God you sent him to me I'm terrified of him I'm paraphrasing and God said don't worry I've shown him I've chosen him God chose a murderer how many people you killed lately? God can use you. God chose murderers like Moses, like Saul, 
like David. And God used these men and changed their lives. And so now he comes before this man named Ananias. And that doesn't mean much to you unless you dig a little bit deeper. But the word Ananias is a Greek word and it means Jehovah has favored or graced. So in other words, this is what God said to me some time ago, years ago. What is it that will open the eyes of men that have been blinded by religion? It is grace of God. In other words, the first thing that the Saul of Tarsus saw was grace when he opened his eyes. After three days of blindness, he saw grace. In other words, we could say it this way, what is it that opened his blinded eyes? Grace opened his eyes. When you preach the grace of God to people, the, the total and complete, not only unconditional love of God, but the unconditional forgiveness of God, that is the grace of God. For you are saved by grace, through faith, in that grace. Grace is not a doctrine or a teaching. It is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is not a dead martyr, but he is a living king. He's not on the cross. He's on the throne. And Jesus did not die, listen to me, to merely to purchase your future salvation. He died that you might share and experience his, his abundant life here and now. That's what John 10, 10 says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you have life. All right, that's salvation. That's eternal life. But Jesus didn't stop there. And he said also that you would have life more abundantly. You can't have more abundantly in heaven, but you can have more abundantly here. Unless you see Jesus resurrected, then listen, you're not going to experience his resurrection power in the here and now. If you don't see yourself already seated with Christ in heavenly places, reigning over your circumstances, then your circumstances will reign over you. Your beliefs may bring, listen, you a measure of comfort, but if your life is essentially no different than your neighbor's, it's because you're not seeing the resurrected Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, Paul said, In this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiful. In other words, Christ didn't die, Paul said, just to merely give you hope. Hope is wonderful. You, we need hope. But hope is hope that doesn't produce fruit. In other words, hope is good, but if it don't bear fruit, the Bible says it'll make you sick. That's Proverbs 13 and 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the fruit comes, it says. So you gotta, you got to have something more than hope. I, I recently heard a story about a man who had been, this is true, I'm not making this up, this man had been addicted to drugs for many, many years, over a decade. Uh, this man had gotten saved. But, but, but what was so strange to this man is after he was saved, he, he, there was nothing changed as far as his addiction. He was just a saved addict now. He was still addicted. And he was struggling with it. And, and one night this man came home to his wife in such a state that she was so upset she called the minister of the church that he had gotten saved in and that they, uh, they were coming, uh, going to, attending, and, and she begged the, you know, the minister to come, and he did. And when he was talking to this man, he said that he felt inspired to ask him about his salvation. And so he said to the man, when you accepted Christ, in which Jesus did you believe in? Which Jesus? The man was confused by the question. He said, what do you mean, which Jesus? He, he, he said, what Jesus did you visualize, did you have in mind when you believed about Jesus? 
Did, did you have in mind the man Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago that was a good teacher, that, that taught, that was kind, that, that did miracles and died on the cross? Is that the Jesus that you believed in, Jesus, that man? Or did you believe in Jesus who was Christ and God? Did, did you believe in a resurrected Jesus? In other words, he said, sir, let me ask you this. Did you see yourself at your salvation? Did you see yourself crucified with Christ? Did you see yourself, sir, buried with Christ? And, sir, did you see yourself resurrected with Christ? Did you see your resurrection when you believed? Is that the Jesus you believed in? The man replied and said, no, that's not the Jesus that I believed in. He said it was the first one. The pastor just asked him then, he said, well, would you be willing to put your trust in the Jesus that I just described to you? Would you be willing to put your trust in not, listen, not only in the man who died for you, but listen, but the man who died as you? Would you put your faith in him? And, and, and that man said, yes. And that night, this is not a fairy tale, that man was completely set free of over a decade of drug addiction when he believed in the resurrected Jesus. See, listen to me. What you believe determines what you see. The Bible says in Romans 6, in verse 4, therefore we were buried, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Don't think about, every time you see the word baptism, think about a water deal. This is a whole other kind of baptism here. You were baptized into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united, listen, together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what that second song was about this morning. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. You know these people that teach you got an old man, you're still fighting, that you got a civil war going on, that you're fighting yourself? That's not true. You're not fighting yourself. Your old person, the old you, was crucified. Crucified kills you. You can commit suicide. I was a paramedic for 20 years. I've been to, unfortunate to a lot of suicide calls. People do all kinds of stuff. Pills, guns, hang himself. I've seen it all. But I never went to a, to a suicide call where a guy crucified himself. I don't mean to make light of that. You can't crucify yourself. You might get a nail in your feet. You might be super bad and get one in your other hand. But somebody's going to have to put that third nail in there for you. If you don't believe that Jesus heals today, guess what you never experience or see? Healing. If you don't believe that Jesus conquered death in order to give you new life and powerful life, then guess what you never see and experience? I mean, your life will literally be no different than your unsaved neighbors. Only difference is they sleep late and you get up and get dressed and go to church on Sundays. I don't want that kind of deal. Listen, the gospel's not just for the forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful. I'm so thankful for that. And listen, if that's all it was, that's a good deal, and I'd take it and rejoice. But it's a lot more than just forgiveness. It is the new life. It's resurrected life. It's his life. Romans 8 and 11, Paul said that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You understand that? We can't even comprehend that. That the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells, not visits, not comes every now and then, not comes and goes, dwells in you. 
That's what the Bible says. That doesn't mean today that if you're here sick, if you're here struggling with addiction, I'm not telling you that you're not saved. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you believe that, and you confess that, I done read to you Romans 10 and 9 says you're saved. My point is this, as I close this, listen to me. Many Christians settle at the cross. They settle. They go to the cross, and I'm so grateful for, for the grace and the forgiveness of God, but they camp at Calvary instead of going to the point, which is the resurrection. They go to the cross, but then they go no further. Without resurrection, you understand that Christianity is a powerless religion. We are celebrating, listen to me, today. Churches all over our community, all over the world. We're celebrating uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. But let me tell you something that a lot of people don't celebrate. Let me tell you something. We are here today to not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but if you're a believer, you're here today to celebrate my and your personal individual resurrection. I was amazed when I saw the words of that second song. Never heard it before. I don't know who picked it, but kudos. Most have never, listen, most Christians have never celebrated nor their own resurrection. Listen to me. Some Christians have never thought about that. All they see is Jesus died for me. But if, you, if that's where you stop, then you miss it. Listen to me as I state this again in closing. Jesus not only died for you, he died as you. See, if you could listen to me, look, okay, how many thought it's a really bum deal that we were born sinners? It's what Romans uh, 7 says, that we were made sinners by what? I didn't eat from the tree. I didn't pick the fruit. I wasn't standing there naked with Eve. Somebody said, well, why did Adam participate? You ever seen a man that turned down a naked woman? He'll do whatever that woman says. <laughs> if a woman's standing there naked and she tells that man to jump in front of a semi, boom, he just gets hit. I'm sorry for that. It just popped out. You know what I'm saying? I'm just... I'm so amazed that Adam did it. I'm not. I was doing so good to right there, Crawford, and just lost it. Right. It was a good Easter sermon to right there. I was that close to being done, man. Back to the sermon. We were in Adam. That's why you and I got credit for disobedience. It was Adam's transgression. Notice it didn't say yours, but you inherited that. Why? Because you were in Adam. I used to think that is such a raw deal for me to have to pay for what another God did. Not fair. It's not right. Anybody ever had those thoughts besides me? But then I saw the amazing wisdom of God. That, that wasn't fair for me to inherit Adam's disobedience, Adam's transgression, Adam's sin, Adam's fallen nature, Adam's problem, all his, his terminal problem of sin. And the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. He's not the second because there won't be a third. He's the last Adam. And so this first Adam sinned in a garden. He disobeyed in a garden. 
This first Adam was put to sleep in a garden. This first Adam's side was opened up in a garden. And God reached in and pulled out his bride, Eve, his wife, in the garden. But this last Adam came, and he went to a garden. And he was not disobedient in that garden. He was obedient. He, too, was put to sleep, death, in that garden. And his side, too, would be opened up. And out of it would flow blood and water, and God would reach in and pull out his wife, the church, the bride of Christ, and present her righteous and holy back to her husband, the last Adam. And if you're in the first Adam, you inherit all of the problems. And nobody, I don't think, has to sell you on the reality of that truth. But what the church needs to believe and hear over and over again, that if you're in the last Adam, you got this mess, this sin, this problem, this flesh. You got that by natural birth. It don't matter if you believe in it or not. If you climb up on the Eiffel Tower and jump off and you say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, you're going to believe it probably. But you're not breaking the law when you fall down at the bottom of it. You're breaking yourself. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe in what I'm preaching. You know, you're, 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 just, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. That's why God sent Jesus. But if you believe in him, then by the natural birth, you got what the first Adam did. Then by the second birth, the new birth, born again, you immediately get what that Adam did. The righteousness of God is a credit to your account. Your sins are never remembered anymore. You are now not only righteous in God's eye, you are made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That's not fair either. That's why it's called grace, baby. It's the grace of God. Favor ain't fair. Grace ain't fair. Grace is scandalous. It's radical. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive to our thinking, but God credits and gives and changes a man by his amazing, wonderful grace. And so now that makes that system of one man doing something that we all get look a lot better to me. Now instead of me having to be obedient, me keep the rules and me do this, now because he did, his obedience now is credited to me. His righteousness now is credited to me. His holiness now is credited to me. And his life, his life, resurrected life, dwells in me. And as I yield to that truth, I live, Paul said, not that I, but Christ liveth in me. It is the grace of God. It is the resurrected life. What will set you free? From sin, believing in the resurrection. What will set you free from decades of addictions of any kind? Believing in a resurrected Jesus. Listen, that you see Jesus. I want to ask you what that minister asked that young man. When you believed, which Jesus did you believe in? Did you believe in a good teacher? Did you believe in a good man? Or did you believe in a Jesus who died not only for you, but he died as you? That was you on the cross and me. Because you was in him. You were in there. No matter if you remember it or not. No more than you remember your natural birth. But I'm telling you by the word of God, you were in Christ. You were there. So you were crucified with him. You were buried 
in the tomb with him. And when he came out on the third day, you was resurrected. And most Christians have never celebrated on an Easter service their resurrection. But we're here to celebrate his. That's a given. But the one I'm trying to get you to see today is that you're here to celebrate. If you're born again and you've put your faith in Jesus, you're here to celebrate your personal, individual resurrection. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God in Christ. You've been resurrected. Live like it. You're not in your sins any longer because you're in Christ and in him is no sin. Live like you are sinless. Live like you are unpunishable. Live like you're in the grace of God. Live like you have resurrection life living on the inside of you. Live like the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Live like it dwells in you. Yield to that spirit. Walk in the spirit. Live in the spirit. Rejoice in the spirit. And you'll overcome and have overcome every sin, everything in this world. Stand to your feet. Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. Well, I preach myself happy anyway. How many believers in here will celebrate your resurrection with me today? Amen. You've been resurrected. Not only was it Jesus, but it was me and you individually. That's why resurrection is so important. Ministry team, elders and all, would y'all come down front? I know it's Easter and you're in a hurry to go see the bunny and chase an egg. Or whatever. But we love you guys. We do our best never to send you out of this campus, off of this facility, without at least the opportunity for prayer. I'm going to dismiss the church. And, uh, but if you want prayer for any reason, while they go that way, would you please come this way and we'll meet you down here. If you just want to come up and shake somebody's hand or hug my neck or, or want us to pray with you whatever, you, whatever you need today, God's here. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He was resurrected for you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Father, I thank you for the power of the resurrection that dwells within all that believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that put their faith in not only a dead Jesus who died but a resurrected Jesus who lives. I pray today that they would see that resurrection power is available to them to overcome everything that would try to overcome them. May they rejoice in your resurrection. Yea, may they rejoice in their individual resurrection today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you. If you want prayer for any reason, we'll meet you down front. God bless you.